Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Vivint Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. UFC 278 headlined by a welterweight title fight. Tomorrow, Usman rematching former foe Leon Edwards. We're talking about the prelim card right now, though, and um, kind of some better prelims than the fights on the main card. You yeah, know? Yeah, not yeah. way better. Not way better, no, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. on Lucy Pudelova, Tyson Pedro, Harry Hunsucker. It's not a high bar. No. No, it's not. No. So couple better fights on, on the prelims that are on the main card. Uh, we're kicking things off here, though, with a heavyweight bout. Marcin Tybura, Alexander Romanov. And, um, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of an interesting fight. I mean, it, it's an interesting fight, especially because Tybura is sort of, um, like, I don't want to say Spivak 2.0 because Spivak came after him, but. Yeah, he's Spivak plus. He he was able to beat Sergey yeah. Spivak by the Sergey Spivak rule, which is that if you're not a better wrestler than Sergey Sergey Spivak, Sergey Spivak will beat. Yeah, him. he's probably he's not uh, the best wrestler in the division, which is Curtis Blades. Yeah, Romanov looks like he could be in that company. He's a great yeah. wrestler, but Tabora is an excellent wrestling test. He's the, yes. the best wrestling test in the division. And and. I feel like I'm saying, like Spivak, the sort of thing with with Tybura is, are you a better wrestler than Marcin Tybura? If yeah. not, you're going to lose. Yeah. That's pretty much the rule. Yeah, so it's interesting just because I, I think we're going to see some cool sequences where Tybura is actually, like, you know, has good balance and gets strong grips in the clinches and um, isn't just instantly flung around. But we are mm-hmm. also going to see Romanov out-wrestle him ultimately. I mean, I yeah. think that's kind of a given. And but, the unfortunate thing for Tybura, I hate to, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I'm stepping no, no, on no, you. Here. No, no, I do that all the damn time, please. Yeah. <laughs> Is that once he starts getting out wrestled, he his game off of his back yeah. is very void. Yeah. All of his wrestling success comes when he is when he is able, when he has control, when he is pushing the, the wrestling battle, when he is winning that outright, when he's losing it, he does not have a lot of answers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think ideally we get a version of the fight here where Romanov can't just instantly get like double unders and start flinging Tabura around. Mm-hmm. And that leads to some interesting moments where Tabora can actually get some shots in. He's got his weird, awkward striking game. Yep. But it does seem unavoidable. Like, again, Romanov is much nearer that Curtis Blades level than he is the average heavyweight wrestling level. Mm-hmm. He's a tremendously good wrestler, a really exciting wrestler, too. I mean, Blades yeah. can be as well, but my God, the suplex he hit without any hesitation on. Uh, Chase Sherman was sick. Yeah, that <laughs> was, was awesome. I mean, I got nothing against Chase Sherman, but we all knew that he was going to get, you know, wrestled to hell once he took that fight on short notice. Make it stylish, right? But yeah, it was just one of those things <laughs> from watching that. I was like, oh my, this is exactly what you should do. Yeah. Like, this is this is it. This is the performance. If you're facing Chase Sherman on short notice and you're this great wrestler, this is it. This is the fight you have. Literally a perfect suplex, too. Yeah. Like, didn't hit his own head, you know, landed yeah. fully on Chase Sherman's upper body. Like, perfect positioning, great arch, really pretty. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, flinging around a guy who weighs 250 pounds like he's nothing. Mm-hmm. Very impressive to see that stuff at heavyweight. And we're going to see some of that with more resistance. And um, it should be interesting. I want to see Romanov do that, try to do that kind of stuff against someone who's actually a quality wrestler. So, yeah. But you have to pick him. I mean, yeah. Because even mean, if it even if it were relegated to a striking battle, he's faster. He's more powerful. I think yeah. he's got better boxing fundamentals. He's probably got less he can do in total than Tabora. But Tabora's game is 
there's there's a lot of sort of pinch points where it could fall yeah. apart. Like the man literally like covers. He does a if your hand is bigger than your face, you have cancer move <laughs> to, to himself to block punches. Like, yeah, it's a ludicrous defensive system he has. Get that Ronda Rousey fundamentals. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really he makes it work. I love the jankiness of Tabor's game yeah. and that all these things are done with purpose, but. There's a reason they don't teach you to do stuff that way. Yeah. Uh, Romanov is going to shock him and hit him with stuff he doesn't see coming when he isn't out wrestling him. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, the pretty telling moment in the Volkov fight, too, where he shot in on Volkov's hips and Volkov just sprawled him out. Yeah. And then spent the rest of the round on top of him. Like... It's just, you know, if if you get on top of of Marcin Tybura that he just doesn't he tries to just hold and wait his way out he doesn't have a quick way back to his feet yeah and that is there, there's no way to look at this fight in that in those terms and be like okay yeah no this is a fight that Tybura has a has has a an easy path to win right um all right, that brings us over to a lightweight bout: Leonardo Santos, Jared Gordon, and um, yeah, um, a couple years ago, this would have been a terrible fight for Jared Gordon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you go back to Leo Santos against Stevie Ray or. Uh, Adriano Martins, Kevin Lee. I mean, I realize the Kevin Lee fight was almost a decade ago, but mm-hmm. you know, it was only four fights ago for uh, Leo Santos. Mm-hmm. But you go back a little ways, and here's Leo Santos with this absolutely laser focused range kickboxing game of one twos and devastating body kicks. And then a lockdown, wrap you up, submit you in a second grappling game behind it. Yeah. And it was tough to deal with. You had to be able to have the confidence to go out there and punch in the pocket with him or to trap him against the cage or to try to break him down slowly. Because if you didn't, he could just pick you apart. And Jared Gordon... He had some of that confidence, but he didn't have really the skill and footwork that would make me think he could have gotten inside on um, on Santos and stayed there easily without falling into a, a takedown attempt right. where he gets submitted. But lately, Santos, he looks sharp early in fights still, but the cardio just isn't there. I mean, he's, It's the worst kind of decline where yeah. he, he looks great. In yeah. the early going of all these 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 last two fights, I mean, I say all these. That's that's yeah. Leo but Santos' the fight too. Three fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he he looks great. It's like you see, oh man, like this guy. I wish he'd gotten a title shot six years ago. Like, yeah, he's that good. And then he just gets like old man tired, where it's like he mm-hmm. can't even. He doesn't even realize it's happening. His body just will not keep up with what he wants to do. Yeah, and everything falls to pieces. And. Yeah. For Jared Gordon, I mean, he did get knocked out quick a couple of times. Carlos Diego Fajera and Charles Oliveira, two great jiu-jitsu grapplers with some good boxing, were both able to catch uh, Gordon instantly and knock him out fast. So it could happen again. Mm -hmm. You know, there is room for that with uh, with Santos, with Leonardo Santos. He has that ability still. The, the, the punches he was landing on Clay Guida, he had Guida just about. Honestly, I rewatched that fight. Leonardo Santos won that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have been finished. He, he finished Clay Guida, and the yeah. ref let it go. And mm-hmm. Clay Guida came back, and he won it. But Santos knocked him out. Yeah. Like, it was absolutely. And, um,. You know, he so that that ability is still there for him. But if you don't knock Gordon out, he's really tough to finish. And he pushes a pace. 
and he drags the fight into deep waters and he makes it messy and he sticks with it and he's got some craft that he's been learning too. For sure. I mean, yeah, he's going to be harder to knock out than ever before. It just yeah. technically, he's better on the defense, better management yep. of range. Yep. He he's, he's just looks like a really balanced, composed striker these days. Yeah. So I got to pick Jared Gordon. Yep. But it'll be a dangerous fight for him for a round. For sure. Undoubtedly. So. Yeah, I mean, for that reason, if it didn't involve seeing Leo Santos lose in like a crushingly predictable fashion, like uh-huh. I, there's something very depressing about that. If I wasn't expecting that, I would be pretty excited about this dynamic because yeah. Jared Gordon is going to have to deal with a really very sharp striker, a guy who can da- transition to super dangerous submissions at any moment, something that Gordon has not always been immune to. Yeah, he got subbed his last time out. Yeah. And um, uh, and then we'll have to you know, use, use his consistency and his pace to get back. Uh, it just seems certain at this point that absent a first round finish, which seems less likely than ever, Gordon's yeah. pace is going to absolutely crush Santos down the stretch. Yeah. So Jared Gordon, for sure. Gordon is a favorite here pretty heavily. He opened at minus 225, dropped down to minus 310. He's currently up at minus 290. Leo Santos opened at plus 190, jumped up to plus 250. He's currently down at plus 232. I get it. Uh, it's just really hard to pick. Yeah, I mean, once you get below light middleweight, really, like getting into your 40s in this game, there is Francisco Trinaldo, and then there are there's nobody else. Yeah. You know, it is not a sport where you hang out in the forties. It's just not heavyweight and light heavyweight can be forgiving to that. Occasionally you'll get a Yol Romero or a Jacare Sosa guys like that at middleweight. But after that, it's all a miracle if it happens. Mm -hmm. So, all right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Sean Woodson, Luis Saldana, and um, yeah, hey, hey, talk about it. Um, this is fairly solid matchmaking, too. Yeah. I think this is interesting. I mean, um, Woodson has, uh, outside that fight with Julian Arosa, in which he still had plenty of good moments, I just think a, a sneakily dangerous style matchup. Yeah. Where yeah, if you're not going to finish somebody early, if you're not going to finish Julian Arosa early, then you're going to be in for an extremely difficult fight. In which I again, I thought he comported himself quite well. Yeah, for a young fighter, um, has looked really impressive. And here is a sort of different kind of challenge. Luis Saldana is big. He's I, I don't he's, he can't possibly have Sean Woodson's frame. No, he's, he's, he's five got eleven seventy three inches of height. He's giving up and uh, five inches of five reach. inches of reach. But he is also uh, a kicker, mm-hmm. which will help to negate some of that reach disparity. Uh, he is going to be competing with Woodson at a range where most people simply can't. Yeah, and um, he's very very mobile. I wouldn't say he has good footwork, but he moves a lot. <laughs> You know what I mean? We, what, he, we, what he lacks in quality, he makes up for in content. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we, I swear we did this on Heavy Hands once. We did a we did a, a year end award where it was uh, there was an award for best footwork, and then there was also an award for most footwork. <laughs> and Saldana would be in the running for most footwork. <laughs> where there there is an awful lot of movement in his lower body. Um, Which reminds me that always reminds me of a. Black Books quote. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I haven't, but hit classic me. British comedy. But he's, you know, it's like this. Uh, or it's like, oh, I'd love, love to have a, you know, I'd love to have a nice ass, like somebody with a nice ass. Mm-hmm. Date somebody with a nice ass. Have you ever dated somebody with a nice ass? And Dylan Moran Dylan Moran goes, No, no, I never did. No. Well, you know, there was one woman. It wasn't nice, but it was huge. So it was a great sense of value. <laughs> <laughs> they did someone with a lot of ass. And, and that's, uh-huh. that's, 
that's the 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 uh, Louis Saldana footwork. Yeah, it's not nice, but there's a ton of it. So yeah, it's only fifty cents. You get an awful lot of a lot of yeah. um, a lot of flying around for your dollar. Exactly. Um. So yeah, I think that's interesting because Sean Woodson. I mean, he 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 showed um a new level of aggression in his last fight. Yeah. And this is going to be an interesting test. I think this will be a fight where he's going to need some aggression because there, there's every possibility that Saldana will rack up some attritive damage, working his legs, working his body mm-hmm. uh, from long range. And, you know, Woodson's not a crushing puncher. Like, he's going to be willing to take some jabs in return. And Saldana's used to his fights being scrappy messes. Yeah. Uh, so he's. Yeah, he's he's going to keep firing those kicks and and um, possibly giving Woodson problems down the stretch. So it'd be an interesting test uh, where Woodson will probably be in a position where he has to close Saldana down and take the fight to him. And I haven't really seen him do that yet against somebody who is, again, not putting themselves in great positions, but super mobile. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to pick Woodson. Mm-hmm. I think he's literally just better. I think he has already shown an, a great ability to make tactical adjustments. And um, Saldana's defense is not good at all. Really bad. A major flaw of him putting himself in such weird positions and switching stance so much and spinning at a moment's notice is for a sharp, open-eyed uh, counterpuncher like Woodson, there are going to be many opportunities to hit him. And yeah. Woodson may not need to deal with the kicks defensively even if he can just counter them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pick Woodson, but I actually think it's a, it's a pretty fun dynamic. I'm curious to see how Woodson uh, copes with this weird, but effective opponent. Yeah. One of the big problems that Saldana really seems to have that I'm give me, give me a great deal of trepidation about picking him here is that um, he, he really seems to have a misplay. It's not even that his defense is bad. It's that he has a misplaced sense that it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he tends to kind of, he'll move around at range and drift out like he's out, out of range and just, you know, totally not somewhere where he needs to be protecting himself at all. And then he'll just get absolutely clubbed. Yeah. Because he is not even trying to defend. Doesn't think that he needs to. And he doesn't think that... It's interesting because he's done, you know, he he's actually stayed a lot busier than I would give him credit for in his fights. Mm-hmm. You know, he's credited with throwing at a pretty high rate and landing with really good, ac- you know, with pretty high accuracy. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like it. Like, I think he's kind of always pulling himself back and out of exchanges in a way that, I don't really, you know, it, it, I don't think of him as like a an aggressive fighter who takes the fight to an opponent. Right. Which is maybe to his credit a bit that he can be so high output without that but seeming it's, like it's a lot of flash. Like like you said, like yeah. he thinks he's being slick and getting away. And if a giant man just like pokes him with a jab as he's resetting, it's it's going to land. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> most of his. um most of his UFC bouts, even he's won all, he's won all three of his UFC bouts by decision, but they all felt like very, very close, ugly fights. For sure. Yeah. He doesn't have the actual depth of striking technique to prevent his opponent having a scrap with him. Yeah. And with somebody like Woodson, who is really, who's longer, you know, we talked about Woodson not having to deal with somebody who can touch him out at his range, potentially and compete with him for a little bit of hype. But, I got to think that that's doubly true for Saldana. For sure. Who really fights like he's insulated by his distance. Big time. Yeah, good point. Whereas Woodson actually does have defense. Yeah. Mostly boxing defense. Again, I'm curious to see if he just eats a bunch of kicks, but um, he he, does have defensive skill and awareness that uh, Saldana clearly doesn't. Yeah, because Saldana's always had a reach advantage or a height advantage or something. He's always been as big or bigger than his opponents. Yeah. yeah. And Woodson is going to be, you're not going to be bigger than 
Sean Woodson at 145 pounds. Yeah. And I think it's because Woodson is, is I, I think, even he's much more comfortable fighting as the tall man in close than he is a, the long guy outside. So mm-hmm. like, he's supremely comfortable in the pocket. That's how he got into trouble with Erosa because yeah. he just probably could have picked Erosa apart from range but just kept letting him inside because he's good there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's got no problem um, – staying calm and seeing shots coming and finding his counters. Yeah. So I, I think that this can be, I think this can, it can look like a pretty good fight for Woodson, especially, you know, for as high a pace as Saldana pushes, Woodson pushes a higher one. Mm-hmm. And if Woodson just takes a really tough fight to Saldana, I think that the the technical gaps in Saldana's style are going to fall apart in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I got to take Woodson probably just by decision. Saldana's been super tough, and uh, Woodson doesn't have a lot of power. So, seems like a uh, likely just decision incoming. Mm-hmm. Where Woodson can stay ahead for all three rounds. All right. Uh, Woodson is a big favorite. Opened at minus 300, currently sitting at minus 341. Saldana opened at plus 250, dropped down to plus 242, but has bounced all the way up to plus 262 in the past couple days. Yeah, not surprised. I mean, the Woodson, uh, the Arosa loss aside, beating guys like Yusuf Zalal and Terrence McKinney and even Kyle Bokniak, um, it's just more impressive than... Jordan Griffin and Bruno Sosa Mm -hmm. and Vince Murdoch. It's, you know, there's a higher level of success where people expect a little more out of Sean Woodson at this point. For sure. And it seems every bit as likely that Julian Arosa would be Luis Saldana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Miranda Maverick, Shanna Young, and... um, Miranda Maverick should just run Shanna Young out the building. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've had my qualms about Maverick in the past. Um, the Barber fight and the Blanchfield fight really felt like she was losing something. Mm-hmm. I think the Barber fight especially, just she was out at sea and it just was like, you can just press the fight on Macy Barber. You have the physicality to do it. All you have to do is come forward. And she was trying to outfight and just losing. And then there in Blanchfield fight, she just got straight up out wrestled for every minute of that. And so suddenly like, well, okay, what can, where, where is the, you know, where does the strength lie? What are you putting together? If you can't, if you can't hang with somebody inside and you can't hang with somebody outside, I started to get pretty worried. Yeah. But then she came out against Mazo. And she looked great, and she looked determined. She struck with power. Mm-hmm. She hit takedowns. She dominated the grappling. She was the more physical force. She had the, exactly the fight she needed to have. And um, like she actually took the right lessons away from those yeah. losses. And two, I know I talked uh, to Eddie Mercado. Has she actually was training on some of the same circuits that he has been on? Because she's out in Virginia, and that's where he's at, you know, doing his stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, I think, a case for her of she, you know, she had to make a pretty big camp switch. And so there was a lot of unbalancing in there where she went from the house of Muay Thai and jumped over to Team Elevation and so, like, the Sabina Mazo fight, the Blanchfield fight was the first fight with that new team. Mm-hmm. And then the Mazo fight is the second fight with that new team. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, there's maybe a, a, a big camp upgrade here that we're going to be seeing some improvement. Yeah, yeah. Improvement yeah. Out and, of that. And we, and we saw some growing pains, then that's typical. Yeah. Why does the House of Muay Thai sound like a restaurant? Really does. It's a weird name for a gym. House of Dumplings, Dim Sum, and exactly. Muay Thai. <laughs> House of Muay Thai and Pad Thai. Yeah. And uh, Shauna Young's a step down from Sabina Mazo. A oh, step, yeah. huge step down from Aaron Blanchfield. A step down from Macy Barber. A step down from Jillian Robertson. 
it is, you know, going all the way back to the Liana Jojua fight in 2020 for Miranda Maverick. So yeah, beating Gina Mazzani in a fight where much to Mazzani's form that she tends to have, Mazzani just ran out, pinned uh, Young, started having success, and then couldn't maintain it because it takes too much effort and drains her gas tank too fast for Mazzani to have the kind of fight that she wants to have. Yeah. Like that that doesn't say anything about Shauna Young having greatly improved from losing to Stephanie Egger and Macy Chasen. No. So I do She's... think that Shanna Young's getting better, but it's a pretty broken, funky Taekwondo game that she's working. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's at least gaining experience, but yeah. Um there's there's not a lot of room to grow there with her no. current skill set. And even so, she remains I mean, because of that, I mean, I often we'll be like, oh, this person's they're either technically lacking or they're uncomfortable. But usually these things are tied together. Mm-hmm. The fact that she doesn't have enough depth uh, makes her continually uncomfortable in exchanges like and it seems pretty clear that Maverick can just like run out and put pressure on her and bring that old discomfort that she she showed against like Stephanie Egger right back right back out. Yeah, if Gina Mazzani can go out and just grab you immediately and pin you on the cage, yeah, there's yeah. nothing about that that Miranda Maverick shouldn't be able to do. Absolutely not. No. Yeah, Maverick's a pretty straightforward pick. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Maverick is a huge favorite, biggest favorite on the card so far, up to minus 350. It's currently down at minus 585. And uh, actually, no, I, I tell a lie. Tyson Pedro is a bigger favorite. Uh, Shanna Young opened at plus 285. It's currently up at plus 418. Still pretty close to that same level of having Young as a massive underdog. Mm-hmm. And it feels justified, you know? I mean, sure. Young is big for she's big for women's flyweight and she showed some power in that Mazzani fight, but it's just a really low level. And even if I, you know, even with Maverick at five foot three, I just expect her to be able to to cut through what Shannon Young's game. Yeah. All right. That brings us to the hardest fight on this prelim card for me to call. And honestly, I think it could be a pretty fun banger of a fight. AJ Fletcher versus Angelusa. Yeah, I, this is a very interesting matchup. Yeah. Uh, not one that's going to bring anyone to watch, but no. definitely a prime example of the analysts matchup. Mm-hmm. You watch the footage, you get a hang on how the, the style clash, and you're like, I don't know. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the obvious question is, how does uh, Angelusa deal with a crazy athletic wrestler? Mm-hmm. And he hasn't really had to very often. It's a difficult question to answer. In, in fact, most of the wrestling you see in Lusa's fights pre-UFC is instigated by him. Yeah. Um, I, now, I did see one fight where he uh, he had an opponent who just instantly started wrestling him who was a fairly big strong looking guy i think that was against howard? declan larkin oh. okay declan now larkin. he mostly out wrestled john howard yeah which is impressive in its own right but you always yeah. you've seen enough guys who have great offensive wrestling and then just get shocked by takedowns and don't know what to do to not just yeah. assume that you've got a full breadth of wrestling skills and uh, against declan larkin for what it's worth, seven and nine at the time that Angelusa fought him showed some great scrambling instincts, mm-hmm. you know, had a guy got in deep on a shot. It did surprise him. It was clearly a, a less polished, less uh, technically savvy Angelusa. He got surprised by the shot, hits a whizzer and, and like floats right over the guy as he starts to lose his balance and, um, and wins the whole wrestling sequence with his wrestling defense. So not a bad look. Yeah, I mean, Jack Della Maddalena is not like anybody's sure. idea of a lockdown wrestler, but he shot three times on Lusa and didn't get one takedown. Yeah, so he does appear to have, you know, the right instantaneous responses that you kind of just need to be considered yeah. a solid fighter in modern MMA. And, and he's super strong himself. For sure. Two, yeah, he's... two absolute brick shit houses. 
uh, facing off against each other in this yeah, fight. No doubt. Um, it is still an open question, though, because A.J. Fletcher himself has shown uh, he can be a really creative, adaptive wrestler. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of sequences in that fight with Semmelsberger where he would get in, the shot would be stuffed. He would instantly, it was really kind of cool, like would like feel the resistance. You know, you're going mm-hmm. force against force. And then just, I mean, I, this happens all the time in wrestling, but it really makes me think of like judo. Yeah. Like you feel that resistance. You're like, great. Now you're pushing against something. I'm going to give and slide around mm-hmm. to the side. He shot in on Semmelsberger. Semmelsberger sprawled half a second of tussling for that. And then he literally just like pulled back and whipped around to Semmelsberger's back and showed good jujitsu yeah. as well. Like got the hooks in, controlled the position. Good stuff. And uh, you could potentially beat a big, strong first layer of takedown defense with those kinds of moves mm-hmm. uh, where you just you create the scramble and then you surprise the hell out of your opponent by completely changing like the terms of engagement. So maybe there's also the possibility that just putting that in Angelusa's mind might allow AJ Fletcher to land some serious shots. Cause oh, I think it absolutely will. Angelusa is a weird disjointed striker. I, yeah. I, I still think, I mean, he, I thought he showed up pretty well in that fight with Munir Lazez. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could, you could see the hitch in all oh, of yeah. his moments where he's his, his defensive movements, his countering ideas. They're too big. There's too many like stages, Quit like, you know, changing stance in order just to like then scoot out of range and come back with a counter. Like just do basic shit. Yeah. Lutha is, I think he is very much the absolute classic hoofed guy. Right. In that he is very slowly having the basics beat into him and they're taking shape. There's, you know, things are being learned. All the lessons are being taught, but it's ta- it takes a, a while. And it to gives him a lot hammered in. It gives him a lot to think about in the yes. fight. And you can, that's the thing you usually see out of these guys. Yeah. Is there is a long phase where everything just hasn't sunk in yet. And mm-hmm. you can be caught out trying to fight correctly. Yeah. And you end up making weird decisions because you're overthinking. Yeah. And yeah, AJ Fletcher having the takedown thread, at least having something additional for Lusa to think about, can be a weird creative striker. Yeah. Not a good striker. Uh, you know, like, but with single ideas, again, that he can surprise you with weird uppercuts you don't see coming and like long leaping jabs and always the present threat of the takedown. Yeah. Now I'm it should s- be. Oh, yeah, go on. You say it should also be noted, though. He does have a seven-inch reach disadvantage. Yes. And Lusa, as you said, isn't just going to be taller. He is a brick shit house himself. He's yeah. going to look significantly bigger. And uh, I'm still going to pick Lusa. I think it is just very difficult to actually take this dude out of the fight. Yeah, I mean, he's super tough. Like, the, the, he's had three losses. Yeah. But he is hyper competitive in every one of those. The Jack yeah. Della Maddalena fight on the Contender series was absolutely like neck and neck, back and forth, war all the way. The Munir Lizez fight, like yeah, 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 he was half a step behind Lizez and outgunned, but he hung with him. Like you look at the stats on that fight, and you know. Lazez threw 260 strikes in three rounds to to Lusa's 213. Mm-hmm. Like he might not have been able to land nearly as often as Lazez, but he was there having the scrap with him. And the third round was his best. Yeah, and I think he quite possibly won that round. Landed some big shots and actually like visibly hurt Lazez at a few points. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I think, yeah, physically tough and very mentally tough. And I think it's often the case with this kind of overthinking fighter that, like, in a position of duress, the the thinking problem kind of goes away a little bit. Yeah. You you, you get more comfortable because you have to just do stuff. You you don't have the the awful luxury of having options. Um, You just get to respond. And I think Lusa has shown in numerous tough fights that he's quite good at that, actually. So I'm going to pick him. I don't think the wrestling is going to be enough of a 
a problem to actually take the fight away from him. There's also the fact that it kind of gassed Fletcher out, having to do all that wrestling against Semmelsberger. Yeah. Another big, strong guy who, yeah, maybe you hit one good takedown, but the scramble's going to keep going. You're going to have to keep fighting for the position. Yeah. I think Lusa is going to wear Fletcher down and uh, and probably, once again, have his best round of the fight in the third. Fletcher is, is very, he's very athletic. He's very strong. He's very well coached, but he does suffer from two big problems. First of all, it's hard as it is to believe he's not an actual wrestler, natural yeah, wrestler. Yeah, yeah. He was a football player growing up. And same difference. Yeah. But he also, he, you know, he's got a bit of the Durham wind problem where, Mm -hmm. where he's tiny. (laughs) He's tiny. I mean, you know, he's not like Durham wind is shorter than him by a good distance, but he's still a five foot 10 welterweight with a 67 inch reach. Yeah. You know, there are bantam weights on this card that have a longer reach than uh than he does you know our key lang has a 69 inch reach um, amir albazi has a 68 inch reach flyweight yeah. amir albazi it is uh it's an issue and it's gonna it, it is go it puts him in a position where he can come out and he can shock people early because he is fast and he is strong and he's dynamic. He can hit some huge blast doubles. He transitions into into submission attempts really naturally. Um, he doesn't have a lot of control over his submission game yet. That was pretty evident in his fight with Semmelsberger. He was able to jump on positions really fast, but the moment Semmelsberger started working his way out of them, Fletcher didn't know how to keep the position to do something else. Right. He just lost it. Yeah. When um, he had the initiatives, there were some really yeah. slick transitions. And then, yeah, what do you do yeah. when you're ahead? That's that's a tough question for a lot of fighters. And he ran out of ideas. Mm-hmm. Once his opponent got used to the fight he was having, Fletcher's game got a lot less interesting. Because mm-hmm. suddenly he had to be outside striking because the takedowns weren't coming as quite as easily. And he has some good single punches, but he's also just at a, he's always going to be in a position where he's going to get hit first. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, if you're not a very deft striker, that takes you out of the striking game pretty fast. It, it forces you into like, okay, I got to leap in with the hook. Okay. Well, I die. That didn't work. I got to leap in with the hook again. You know, what am I going to do? I can't sit out here. I've got to do something to make this, this work. And, um, yeah, I mean, I expect a pretty chaotic first round out of this fight. I expect mm-hmm. Fletcher to be able to come out because I do think that Lusa starts a little cold. He yep. start, he's overthinking when he starts. He's trying to feel his way into the fight. He doesn't push. Uh, he will match a pace, but he doesn't push a pace all that well. Right. He has a, you know, he he's very much a, like, okay, one, two, I'll get out to range, reset. Okay, here's a low kick. I'll get out to range, reset. You know, he's, like I said, with the hoof trained fighters, they are getting trained out there. He There is a, like, no, you're going to go out there and you're going to strike with these guys and you're going to hang out on the feet with them and you're going to have the most difficult fight you can have because I, your father, want you to have <laughs> this, you know, I want you to learn these lessons. Yeah. We saw it with Usman for years on the come up before he became, you know, before he started his UFC run, before he ran up to the belt. That you watch old Kamaru Usman fights, and there's a ton of him just out there having yeah. 50 50 kickboxing exchanges for round after round with people. Very awkward. Yeah. Where he's just, and you're like, well, why don't you wrestle? And you can tell it's because he is being told, no, you're supposed to go out there and learn to strike. Mm-hmm. You know? I love it. I mean, honestly, yeah. I do. I think Henry Hoof does a fantastic job of molding fighters, and yeah, it's just an understanding that yeah, you're gonna you're gonna take some some licks and have some really uncomfortable moments, but it builds character. Yeah, and it builds yeah. a technical system which so many, even very high level MMA fighters, lack in the striking department. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I. I think that that can take over for Lusa late, but if he drops the first round hard and yeah. then has to build his way back into this fight, 
we can be looking at a very 50-50 bout. Yeah, like know? it might take AJ Fletcher making some catastrophic mistakes to get Lusa into this fight, and I kind of mm-hmm. think he will, but uh, yeah, that is kind of a problem for Lusa is do you actually have what it takes to take the fight to your opponent and take over? Yeah, you're like the Semmelsberger fight. That was not an easy or clear win for Matthew Semmelsberger. Not at all. You know, he he came back in round two and he outworked Fletcher, but he also got taken down twice and had to battle his way out of those positions, you know? And he took plenty of clean shots, too. Yeah. Again, Fletcher makes you think of that that takedown, and then it will surprise you. He's fast. He's creative. Yeah. So I will follow you on the Lusa pick because I think the size is too big a factor. Yeah. But it's I I like the fight a lot. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be a a really tough bout for both guys. And I like both guys as as prospects. I think they both have a lot to offer. So agreed. I'm fascinated to see what they can bring. It's just it sucks for a guy with tiny, teeny, tiny arm, baby man arms like. Yeah, like Fletcher has, like that's always going to be an uphill battle in fighting. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, odds on the bout. Fletcher is a slight favorite here. Opened at minus one ninety, jumped up to minus one sixty. Currently minus one sixty two. Lusa opened at plus one sixty five, dropped down to plus one thirty five. Currently plus one thirty three. I really don't think that there should be much split between these two at all. No, honestly, flip a coin. Yeah, I think this is a very close fight where, like I say, I expect Fletcher to start hot and I expect Lucid to end hot. And what happens in the middle could be a complete toss up. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout Amir Albazi, Francisco Figueredo. And um, man, Figueredo is. <laughs> he is such a puzzle in that like he's clearly not as good as his brother. No. (laughs) And he can clearly be beaten in any number of ways at his own, even at his own game. He truly is the Valentine over him to, to to Davison's Alistair where it's like, you can see echoes of the, the good brother. But it's so weird. And there's so many ways for it to go wrong. It's all, it's almost like, difficult to describe his fighting style it's chaos and then at the same time that knee bar he hit on on (laughs) daniel lacerda sick it was absolutely disgusting just like ridiculous how smooth that was yeah and how natural that was and how fast that was and like, man, you, if you can do that to people, you can win any fight. Weren't there, like, two knee bars that night, too? I think so. Let's see, Font Vera. There was... Uh, no, there was, there was that knee bar. There was a rear naked choke in an Americana. I, maybe it was, like, one a case where there had been one, like, just the week before. Yeah. What? Um, yeah, the knee bar. Claudio Puelas hit a knee bar on Clay Guida the right, week right, before right. that was absolutely every bit as smooth. Right. Um, but yeah, he is like there is a, there is the potential, much like his brother, for instantaneous moments of slickness and form, mm-hmm. where you're just like, damn, you could beat anybody with that. But it is, you know, absolutely in, in Figueroa's case, without that top end athleticism and toughness that Davison Figueroa has. You are really snatching moments out of the ether, just like, oh, yeah. I found this one thing, this one dime, and it worked beautifully. And then all, you know, the the other, the, the next moment, you aren't finding that moment. You're just getting beat by Malcolm Gordon, who is yeah. eminently finishable in all sorts of ways. But if you don't put him away instantly, Will t- will has the stick-to-itiveness and the veteran savvy to take you apart over multiple rounds. Because there's a process to what a guy like Malcolm yeah. Gordon does, and that is the problem with Francisco, is that there is no apparent process. Yeah, and perhaps that's what got him really into that position with Daniel Lacerda, too, because Lacerda is a very processless 
formless, yeah. I will throw myself at you and force something to happen fighter. Yeah. And he, he threw himself at Figueredo and he forced something to happen. And it was a knee bar for Figueredo. Amir Albazi is, he is a quality process fighter. Mm-hmm. It is a very studied, come forward, pressure, punching style that he is putting together. Or kickboxing style, even. Mm-hmm. And there's some danger. He marries it with a takedown game that doesn't necessarily lead to anything that he can hold on to. It leads to a scramble. Like, he's a flyweight with two wins by Kimura. Three wins by Kimura. <laughs> and, like, that is not a flyweight submission move. That is a that is a submission that tells me that you are like fighting absolute like totally unathletic flyweights, bottom of the barrel athletes. That's true. At flyweight, like flyweight. You, Kimura is a sweep. Yeah, how are you getting that at fly at flyweight? Uh, Kimura is a pure strongman submission. It and, is a sweep for everybody else. And a key lock against Ryan yeah. Curtis, an uh, an Americana. Yeah. yeah, so there is um, there's some funk to that his wrestling game leads to some funk that I don't necessarily trust, which is is a potential danger against Figueredo. But I gotta think I, I gotta feel like all the rest of his game is just too well too well honed and put together for me to possibly pick Figueredo to win this fight. Yeah. I quite like his striking. Very, yeah. very active, multi-purpose lead hand. Uh-huh. A lot of feints, a lot of jabs. He's he's the kind of guy who will, you know, just like against Jalgas Jumagulov, he just came in jabbing like nonstop. Uh-huh. And he was looking to draw something out, and he did. The first right hand he drew out of Jumagulov just nailed him. Yeah. And he went right back to his process like, okay, now I know. Yep. That's going to happen when I jab. And then he was quite aware of it. Yeah, going forward and and was looking to counter it. Um, that's that's an educated lead hand. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I, I like I, him on the feet a lot. And and if he can do if he can stick to that kind of thought process against Figueredo, it just seems mm-hmm. like the opportunity is going to be a, all right there in front of him. Hundred percent. It's just like a more stable version of what Malcolm Gordon does on the feet. Yeah, and much more durable. Yep, very consistent and more durable. Seems no reason not to pick him. Yep. Uh, Odds-wise, he's a fairly big favorite as well. Open to minus 300, dropped straight to minus 350. He's currently down at minus 454, so probably anchoring a lot of parlays. Um, Figure it opened at plus 250, jumped up to plus 285. It's currently up at plus 344. All right, that takes us to a Bantamweight bout. Aori Kilang. Aori Chilang, I should say. Yeah. Aori Kilang. Aori Chilang against Jay Perrin. And, um, yeah, I just still feel, I mean, this is you, but I feel a little bad for Jay Perrin. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he's got no potential. No. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's put together an idea of a fight that he wants to have that uh-huh. I like. Sure. I I don't dislike what he wants to do out there at all. Yeah, but, it reminds me a lot of um, oh, what's his name? The the featherweight, some angel of death was his nickname. Oh, a, a bangbosh. No, that's he the angel of something. The yeah. holy war angel or something was his. The yeah, holy war angel, but. Sick. Angel of Death, <laughs> UFC, Featherweight. This is a, uh, uh, Kevin Aguilar. Oh, okay. All right. I did not. How Kevin did you remember Aguilar. Kevin Aguilar's nickname? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. Just because it's a very, like, I know I have big hands, so I'm going to throw power punches, and that is going to be the backbone of my yeah, game kind yeah, of style. Yeah. Just and, and then and then what that resulted in. I mean, getting bossed around by Mario Batista is not a great sign. No. 
Um, like he went in and tried those big swinging combinations and Batista is like, what if I hit you with a jab? And like, he rocked poor Jay Perrin with a jab, like mm-hmm. in the first minute of the fight, he just ran into it. And then Perrin tried a few more and, you know, similar results. And then he ended up getting pressured because he couldn't push his way forward and land. Doesn't have, you know, the setups, the subtlety, it's mm-hmm. big shifting swings when he does throw. So then he had to resort to his like uh, counter takedown game. Yeah. And you see like some good timing, you know, good looking mm-hmm. penetration on these shots and um, just not enough. Like maybe you weren't in exactly the right position to drive through. Maybe you just don't, you don't realize how hard you need to drive to finish these takedowns. But more and more as that fight went on, they just, they, they stopped getting stuffed and just started getting brutally countered. Mm-hmm. He would get trapped in the clinch and pushed up against the fence and then just beaten up by Mario Batista. Yeah. Um, and uh, Arichi Lang is a very aggressive man. Yeah. Pathologically. Pathologically aggressive, super durable, and mm-hmm. honestly dealt with the wrestling of a significantly better wrestler in uh, Cody Durden very well. Mm-hmm. So... Probably this fight is going to end similar to how uh, Arichi Lang's fight with Cameron Else ended. Probably take a little different route to get there, but ultimately it seems likely he's going to pressure Perrin into a shot that he can't finish and end up on top of him or riding him and smashing him. It is interesting and both good for Perrin and bad that he has literally two knockouts in his first couple fights for a guy that fights the way he does. Uh-huh. And then four wins by rear naked choke. Yeah. Like those are, that is the bulk of his finishes. And for a dude who like he is out there throwing hammers at people, it really does say something about how one speed he is with yeah. his punching. Yeah. That he's not finishing people with those punches. Yeah. And yeah, that just seems like a, a that more than anything seems like the bad thing for him against Chilang or Chilang or Chilang because uh, Chilang is or Chilang is a madman and he is a dynamic whirlwind of aggression and he tries a lot of different stuff. He will throw jump knees, he will throw spinning strikes, he will throw spinning kicks, he will you know, come forward with combinations and kicks and all that. And if you're giving him everything at the same speed, it's going to give him opportunities to make reads. You know, he is going to, even somebody as aggressive as he is, I mean, that that was kind of, like Cameron Ellis is a lot of that kind of fighter too. Mm -hmm. Throws really hard, but does everything at one speed. And Chilang just went after, you know, was able to just blitz straight through him, basically, and read him every step of the way. And, yeah, I I, I, say, I feel a little bad for Jay Perrin, because I just don't think, you know, he, he was very much a... Um, uh, yeah, he felt very much like a, you know, we need people last minute replacement COVID pickup where it's just, he does, he has a game that could develop into something fun. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just not there yet. It's not, he is not at all at the right level to, and and doesn't have enough just like raw physicality or whatever to, to kind of get by until, until he smooths over all those cracks in his game. Yeah. Although then I look at his record and I realize he's been doing this since 2014. So, you know, I mean, yeah, he got to the place where he's going to be at the time that he's going to be most prepared to be there. And he just has a game too limited for bantamweight. Yeah. If if you're attacking people with almost exclusively with one speed punches, they are going to read a lot of options. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'll say this about our Richeling, but before we move on top two cultural hats, (laughs) okay, that Mongolian cap that he puts on when he wins sick it's got like yeah. a necktie hanging down in the back it's got like a spike on top mm-hmm. that rules my personal favorite nikolai negamarianu wears like the phrygian cap i guess that's a romanian thing yeah 
Very yeah. cool. Simple yeah. felt cap, little fold. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's going to say, what about the papaka? You know, yeah. all the Dagestani guys, they have their sheepskin. It's cool, all right? But it's played out. Yeah. yeah. We, got, we, more... we do have, we, we do have uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, who has, like, the, the one with, like, the ear flaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a different version of the sheepskin hat. Yeah. yeah. But I like the little compact, yeah. you know. It's, I, it's not I so it. showy. It's it's good. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see how Regal put that little hat on. This should be an absolute brawl, though. I will oh, say. Oh that. yeah. Like absolute fire. Saw Richie Lang and and uh, and Perrin only has one way of responding to that. Yeah. Like, he's gonna have to fight his ass off to survive. Yeah. Yeah, Richie Lang is a reliably very exciting fighter. Yeah. Chilling opened at minus 300, jumped up to minus 192. It's kind of at minus 157, so he's getting faded just a little bit. Perrin opened up at plus 250, dropped down to plus 160, currently at plus 130. I, I don't really see why it should get closer. I mean, yeah. Arichi Lang is like fundamentally immortal on the feet, not easy to out wrestle, very aggressive, and bigger. It's just, yeah. it doesn't seem like a good fight for Perrin. Is he actually bigger, too? I think he is. Maybe not. No, the same size. Okay. Exact same, same size. Same reach, Same height, too? same reach. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, hey, I still still have a lot more faith in our Richie Ling's aggressive game. Yeah, I mean, he, he just, he can surprise people. He can be dynamic and he can pull things out that people yep. don't see coming. And Perrin doesn't do that. Yep. To a fault, Perrin is too predictable. And he's super tough and he knows it in a way that yep. Perrin clearly does not. Has Perrin ever been knocked out? Uh, I don't think so, actually. No, but he fights like he might get knocked out. Yeah, he's been guillotined once. He, so gets, he if, gets anxious when you hit him clean. Yeah, but and that if, if neither guy's going to get knocked out, like this could just be a brutal brawl. Yeah. Because Archie Lang is aggressive to a fault. Oh, like, yeah. He will walk himself into all the damage in the world if he thinks that his path to victory lies that way. Yeah, yeah but it's because whether or not he's fully correct and he's human so he can't be fully correct but he he knows he believes yeah. he's not going to get knocked out yeah he's going to do it to you so gotta, right. gotta, gotta trust in that uh that self-belief should be a war should yeah. be really fun it's a bantamweight right. fight and that brings us to our opening bout of the card victor altamirano daniel lacerda da silva and the, the um, aforementioned yep and uh, the smoothest knee bar we've seen in a decade. Yeah. This is. This will be messy. Uh huh. Altamirano does not have. There is a hitch missing. Some that somebody like. I don't know if it's a balance issue. I don't know if it's a training issue and footwork issue. But Victor Altamirano fights like one of his feet is constantly greased. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Like, he just can't plant one foot without it slipping off in a slightly weird direction. He's having to catch his balance in that moment. Really awkward stance. Like, yeah. He's got this like he, I think he's one of these guys. He, he's got to be like duck footed or something. Like yeah. he's he's got a really awkward like knees out. Each step there's like this weird swing where he has to like, you, you know what I mean? Like the knee yeah. goes forward like b- before the foot, but the side of the knee. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. It's very strange, and uh, it makes him real. It makes it really really hard for him to keep any fighting control because he can't really keep anyone in front of him. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about a guy with like a disability. As far as I can tell, he's a normal man. Just really awkward. Just really awkward. And at flyweight, especially where people are so fast, like, he has to bait somebody into a tangle on the ground or catch them out in a moment on the feet, or it's just going to have to be this wild scrap. And Daniel De Silva, like, 
He doesn't have any of that kind of awkwardness to him, mm-hmm. but it is he fights like he's been loaded into a slingshot. <laughs> like he just, you know, he's in one of those human slingshots where they, you know, they they stretch it back and you're about to see somebody get like flung into a net 50 feet away. And he just launches himself at people, whether it's to land strikes or to tangle them up in a grappling exchange. Like that fight with Jeff Jeff Molina, like there were points where he just like teleported onto Jeff Molina, it seemed like. And then Molina just like absolutely, you know, gutted his way through it all. And Lacerda couldn't even keep the, uh, he couldn't even keep the style of pace that he wanted to go going, which is a bad sign at flyweight. Yeah, for sure. And I think that Altamirano can do do that. He can have his kind of fight keep going the way he wants it. But I'm not. He's been he's been choked once as a pro by Jared Brooks, former UFC fighter. He's been choked out three more times as an amateur. And I'm not sure that he can have this fight and survive the first round of it. So I'm going to pick Daniel De Silva, Daniel Lacerda De Silva, to win by sub. Yeah. It's it's just hard to trust a guy who, like you said, that's a terrible flaw to to fight frenetically and gas at flyweight. It is. It is really not good. That is like the one thing. That that's that's like when you you have that's like a heavyweight with no chin like yeah it, it, it's it's you can't do that because because every single fight at a certain level is going to be frenetic and fast paced and there's going to be endless scrambles and yeah Altamirano is extremely weird but but he can survive consistent in his way yeah yeah no it's, you're gonna get the exact same kind of broken weird awkward fight for three rounds out of him no matter what's coming at him. Yeah, that that just seems like more than enough reason to pick him. I mean, I don't I don't like dislike the elements of De Silva's game. I like he's got a he's got a really cool teep. Yeah. Um he's throws with power, commits to everything. Throws with power for sure, but too much, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, if you're not gonna has Altamirano ever been knocked out or no. or finished at all? He's yeah, been choked he's been out. Submitted. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. I'm picking him. And he's been choked out three times as an amateur as well. So that's yeah. There's enough there to make me think this is a way that De Silva can just jump on something and make it happen. Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm gonna I'm still gonna pick Altamirano just because. Yeah, that's that's fine. It, that it's just too much of a bad thing to have happen at flyweight. Altamirano is gonna be there being weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on that. Yeah, that's that. It's all totally fair. I'm. I'm just willing. I, I like enough of what Lacerda does that I want to see him. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Improve. I want to see something better out of him. Odds on the back. 26. I mean, yeah, this yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, Altamirano is the favorite here. Opened at minus 225 and is climbing upwards to minus 192 now. Uh, Lacerda opened at plus 163 and got up as high as plus 174 and is down at plus, plus 158. These odds should be getting as close to even as possible. Mm-hmm. There's there's no reason to favor like Alta, Carlos Hernandez and Carlos Candelario that Altamirano fought on the, the Contender Series and then his first UFC bout are very sub UFC level athletes in terms of speed and power and dynamicism dynamism there you go for the flyweight level and Altamirano had to have an absolutely tooth and nail fight with both of them one of which he lost like he is also just not the level of athlete for this division and he does not have a style that leads him into doing things that finish fights because he's out of position all the time. So there's no even if you think he should be favored here, it should not be by any kind of wide margin. Yeah. 
almost everyone I would assume at this at this level is going to hang with him. Mm-hmm. Even if he beats Daniel De Silva, I would be very surprised if he finishes him. In, you know, if he if he can run away with the fight, seems yeah. very likely it would just be become a slog and a brutal, difficult fight. Uh, all right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at PlayDeal.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. Some PlayDeal presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC Paris, Gone versus Tuivasa. Until then, thanks everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Mookie and Crookie Show, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.